Ah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Um, I wish I would have known about the dress code. I would have probably wore my Jordans or something. So now we get old Sunday casual. You know what that means. You got to wear a blazer. Um, but I'm, I am super excited to be here. Uh, Justin is such a good friend. Uh, you guys as a church, you guys are an inspiration to the city. I just want you to know that. Um, you may not know it, uh, but you're inspiring thousands and thousands of people in the city uh, by the work that you guys are doing here. Um, so a lot of people are trying to copy and paste what you guys do, which at my job, which is called uh, City to City Redeemer, we tell them not to do that. Uh, we tell them, come learn first and then use it in your context. Uh, so I am a pastor at a church in the Bronx. I grew up in Washington Heights. Um, I'm plant I planted in the Bronx. I love the Yankees. I love Brooklyn. So I'm a New Yorker. See that? This is just is that cool. Um, and uh, your pastor, he's such a dear friend, and I'm, I'm just super excited to be here. So I'm just going to get right into the word. Um, you have it in your sheet. It's right here. So we're just a couple of verses in Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. Um, and before I preach, I got to tell you, I am married. I have two wonderful daughters, um, married to my lovely wife, Margie. I got to say this so it could open up and you guys could feel comfortable with me. So... Um, and we've been married 12 years. Uh, Olivia is seven years old. She's a diva. And Aliyah is five, and she thinks she could get away with anything. So uh, those are my kids. Uh, but Matthew chap chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent words by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered to them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and bless is the one who is not offended by me. I got to read verse 6 again. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Um, before I go into the context of what we read, let me just tell you a little story uh, that happened, real story happened in South America. Um, there's this guy named Jaime. Um, if you don't know how to say Jaime, just say Jamie. So, Jaime is uh, in a country in South America. There's a, he, he's a farmer, so all the money that he gets is from farming. Um, so then uh, there's a big storm that comes to his um, village and destroys the, his entire crops. Everything that he had for that season to sell and sustain himself is destroyed. So his family is asking Jaime, what are we going to do? Jaime, is, um, Jaime says, don't worry, we got this. Um, but the, the storm has destroyed everything in the village. So everyone is wondering what they're going to do. But this is what Jaime does. Jaime um, asks his son for a piece of paper and a pen. And he starts writing this letter. And he addresses this to God. So he says, dear God, you know what happened to my farm. Obviously, you, were, you allowed the storm to come. This is Jaime writing, right? And then he says, um, in order to sustain myself for the next few months until I'm able to plant and the crops and all that, 
I need 100 pesos, not 100 dollars, 100 pesos. I need 100 pesos. Please send it as soon as possible. So he takes the, the paper, takes the letter, folds it, puts it in an envelope, and he addresses it to God. Where does God live? Heaven. So where he puts in the envelope? Heaven, right? So God, heaven. So when the letter arrives at the mailbox, at the post office and all that stuff, the, the, the guy that's carrying the, you know, the letter, he's looking at this envelope and he's like, man, this, what am I going to do with this? So he's about to throw it in the garbage and then he just takes it to his manager. His manager says, man, what is this? Is this some crazy dude? Right? They, so they open the letter, right? Uh, it's in South America, so it's legal to open the letter, right? <laughs> joking, joking. Is this being recorded? Nobody in South America, please see this. Um, so he opens the letter, and when he opens the letter, he reads um, the content of the letter, and he's, um, he's moved, right? So he reads it to the entire, um, you know, folks in the, in the office, and they're all moved because they know what happened to the village, so what they do, they, they make a collection, they raise money. So for a couple of days, they say, hey, whatever you can bring to Jaime, you do that. So by the end of the week, they have raised 75 pesos. How much did Jaime ask for? 100. Oh, you guys are good at math, right? I'm glad you're paying attention. So what's the difference? 25. Oh, my goodness. Um, so they, they collect, this, collect this money, they put it in an envelope, and then they address it to to Jaime, and they say, Jaime, here's the money that you requested. Love God. So Jaime, in a couple of days, receives the letter with the money. How much he received? 75. So then he looks at, the, looks at the money, right? He was like, oh, my God. So he starts counting the money. He counts it once, counts it twice, three times. Then he asks his son for pen and paper. Mijo, let me get pen and paper. So he starts writing another letter. Dear God. I want to thank you for the 100 pesos that you sent me. Sadly, the people at the post office stole 25. Make sure that you send the money, the other $25 back. Hyman has this faith in God that what he's asking God to do, God will do. He's asking God for something that he needs because he's in a con his condition is calling for God to help him. And there's no other way for him to receive what he needs than to go to God. I wish I had the faith that Jaime had. I wish I had it. But if I'm honest, I'm having the faith of John the Baptist. Because John is in a condition, he's in jail. He's criticizing Harold because he's doing some stuff that he's not supposed to do. And he gets thrown in jail. And then he hears that Jesus is doing all these wonderful things. And he's like, dude, like, I'm in jail. Are you the one or we should start looking for another? Jaime, on the other hand, is like, okay, the, the, the storm came, destroyed all my crops. I know who I got to go to. I got to go to God. And I'm asking him for, to help me. But John is not asking God for, to help. John is doubting. John is saying, are you the one? Or shall we look for another? And, and, and you know, like, it's funny because if you've been in, in, in Christianity for a while, and you tend to read the stories in the Bible. You, you want to compare yourself to the heroes in the Bible. But then you always compare yourself to the ones that did amazing stuff. You never compare yourself to the ones that did crappy stuff. Right? So, for example, when I read the story of Saul and David, I'm always thinking that I'm David. But then my life tells me that I'm a lot like Saul and not David. Like, I'm a lot like Judas and not John or Andrew or Peter. 
Like, you know, like, like sometimes we, we, we doubt and we go into life and we're thinking, man, we're this. But then reality sets in and it says we're that. Right? So I, I wish I could be Jaime in the story that I just told you, but I'm John. And I be doubting sometimes. And, and John is asking God a legitimate question. He's saying, are you the one? Because I'm in jail. I'm going through this situation. And, and, and the thing is, John is John. Like, John is not just like, you know, this like regular old person. John is the one that said, behold, there's the Lamb of God. That revelation that he received from God. Behold, and this guy, I'm not even worthy to take his sandals off. And then he said, in Matthew chapter 3, there's one comes one after me that is more powerful than I am. And John is saying, I'm doubting because my situation is telling me something different than what I preached a couple of weeks ago. And I heard the sermon, and I heard the message, and I believed it in my heart, but my reality is telling me something different. So what do you do when your reality is telling you something different than what God is telling you? How do you walk in that? Because that's what John is doing. And the reality is that we all doubt. We all have doubts and fears. And John is saying, hey, I'm doubting if you're really the one, if you're the Messiah, because I'm supposed to be better. Because I said that you were going to come and free us from the oppression. You were going to come and do all these wonderful things. Yet my reality is different. And if you've been in this world for the last three years, you know this reality is different. And we've been asking God, how long would this be okay for? And, and John is saying the same thing here. I'm in jail. I didn't do anything wrong. This guy was doing something wrong and I just, I just called him out. And he threw me in jail because he's abusing his power. And I want to know, God, are you the one? Or shall we wait for another one? Because when we doubt and the expectation of Jesus doesn't look much or doesn't match our reality, we start to doubt. And when you doubt, you start to look for something else. And no longer Jesus is the one. We try to find the one in something else. Have you ever been single? If you are single, I know you're looking for the one. And if you're married, sometimes you ask yourself, was she the one? <laughs> Señor, dime la verdad. Tell me the truth, Lord. I want to know. You ask if, like, we could be real. You guys are family. You guys don't know, but you guys are family. Me and Justin talk almost every day, like text message. Um, so you ask yourself, is she the one? Is he the one? Or am I, like, because we're always asking for, we only want to see proof if she's the one. When I was growing up, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. So when they told you, if you like the girl, you have to ask God for a sign. So what I did, I put an easy sign for the Lord. Lord, if she comes with that purple skirt that she always wears, she's the one. Because <laughs> it's like we want to trick God. We want to like, God, do for me, you know, what I want you to do for me. So what, what we end up doing is, is that we start replacing the one with something else. And if we're not careful, even as we walk with the Lord, what we do is that we use God to get to the one. When in reality, the one is God. 
When in reality, Jesus is the one. So we want to use Jesus to get to the career. We want to use Jesus to get to the family. We want to use Jesus to get to, like, to do all this. Señor, Lord, help me get to this. And we forget that the one who really matters is him. But we, all that happens if you start doubting. And we're all going to doubt. Like, like we, we are all going to doubt, even, in, even as New Yorkers. We're all going to doubt, do we really have what it takes to make it? Do we really have what it takes to make this marriage work, to make this church work, to make this ministry work? Do I really have what it takes to be a good parent, a good mother, a good father? Do I really, do I really have what it takes? We start doubting. And, 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 and Jesus, when he talks to John, about John, he's like, tell, hey, John, your disciples are going to tell you that this is what's happening. In the midst of you being in jail and doubting, the kingdom of God is at work. In the midst of you doubting and having your own issues that you have to deal with, God's kingdom is flourishing. Because the gospel has been proclaimed to the poor. The blind can see. The dead have come to life. And sometimes our reality of Jesus and the gospel It's always our lives. But there's so much more to the gospel than just our lives. And if we allow God, to, if we allow the Holy Spirit and God to say, you know what? Maybe my life is not what I want it to be. But if God, if your kingdom is being advanced, if your world is being preached, I'm okay with that. Can we be okay with that? Can we be okay with that challenge? Sometimes God is not going to do for us what we want him to do. But he's going to do what he wants to do. <laughs> Can we be okay with that? Can we rest on the truth that he is carrying our burdens? Can we rest on the truth that he's with us? That we can put all anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you and I. So, so, so Jesus doesn't rebuke John in a bad way. He's just saying, John, you, you, you have it. You got to figure this out, you know? It's, it's different. And then, if, if this is the thing, if you don't make Jesus the one, you're going to make something else the one. If, if Jesus is not the one, you're going to make something else the one. It could be sex. It could be money. It could be power. And a lot of people say those are the three biggest idols in New York. Don't you tell me how to live my sex life. They'll, you know, they'll walk out on you. They'll leave you, right? Don't you tell me what to do with my money. It's my money. I work for it, right? And I want to be in control. I want to have this power to do what I want. So, when, so when, if you don't make Jesus the one, you're going to make something else the one. Because we're always, always looking to make something the one. If you don't believe me, we're in trouble. Because your kids are looking at the one. Every movie in Disney is looking for the one. Think about it. Every movie that you see is someone looking for something to fulfill them. It's either the prince or the princess. We're always looking for something for people to be fulfilled. But if we don't make Jesus the one, we are going to have empty lives. I like to tell stories. I've already told you one. This is my last one tell you another one there's this king he has 15 villages in his kingdom 
or 15 tribes. And he has no kids. And he knows that he's getting older. He can't produce kids. So he does this. He says, you know what? The kingdom should be in the hands of somebody from the, from the, from the tribes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give everyone a seed. I'm going to pick one of the best kids from, the, from each of the, the tribes. And I'm going to give them one seed. And whoever is able to grow that seed in about three to four years, the best. Whoever has the biggest tree, who's ever taking care of the tree, the best. Those kids, that kid is going to be king. So the king is, they, they select the best kids from the, each of the tribes. They give, them fifth, they give them the seeds. And in about three years, we're going to see what's going to happen. Whoever has the best tree is going to win. So one of the kids gets the, the, the seed. He starts planting it. And when he plants it a couple of months, he sees that nothing is growing. And he's calling his, all his friends and say, hey, is your seed growing? And like, yeah, my seed is growing. It looks so cool. It has leaves already. I'm putting water every day. So the kid is worried because his seed has not grown. He goes to his mom and says, mom, I think I got to replace the seed. Mom says, no, you can't replace the seed because it's the one the king gave you. So year goes by, 12 months. The seed doesn't grow, but the other seeds are growing. Another year goes by, the seeds are, his seed doesn't grow, the other seeds are growing. Another year goes by, and then in four years, all the other kids have seen their trees grow, their seeds have developed, and all this stuff. And then his seed, nothing, nada. So the king says, hey, in about a week or so, I'm going to go see your seeds. I'm going to see how they grew, how they developed. Okay, cool, no problem. So he starts going to each of the villages and like, oh, wow, so big, so nice. Oh, it has fruits. Cool. He gets to the, this guy's village and he's like, where's your, where's your tree? And they're like, king, I tell you, man, see, you gave me, it's messed up, doesn't work. I did everything. I put water in it. So I try to grow it. I even spoke to it every day. You know, I got to talk to the plants. Um, all of that. Man. The king says, oh, it didn't grow? It's like, okay. So he said, about a week, I'm going to make my decision. Everybody's waiting. So this kid, he's, he's disqualified. His seed didn't grow. This, this, the king, in a, in, a week's, in a week's time, he comes and says, hey, guys, the new king is going to be this kid whose seeds didn't grow. Everybody's shocked. Everybody's complaining. Hey, king, writing letters, complaining. I thought you said that the biggest tree was going to be, whoever had the biggest tree was going to be king, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know what happened? The seeds that the king gave were all empty. They were never going to grow. And what the king was looking for was somebody that was going to be honest enough to say, I tried. It didn't work. It didn't grow. I don't know what to do. The other kids, all the other kids lied. They looked for other seeds. They planted that seed and had those trees. And for a while, those trees looked good. And everybody was praising them. But all of that grew in a lie. And I'd rather be empty than grow in a lie and be fake. And when I go home and people are saying, oh, you look so nice. Your marriage is so cool. Oh, my God. You, you know those people that, you know, they have... Instagram and they put pictures on Instagram where they're fine, but then two minutes later you see them arguing like that. 
if we are honest with ourselves, there's always an empty spot in our lives that we're trying to grow with something else. There's always something that's empty in our lives and we're trying to water it. We're trying to get something. We're trying to, and we even try to fake it. Because in New York, they tell you, fake it till you make it. That's a lie. Don't believe that lie. But no, reality is that in the empty areas of our lives, we need to call Jesus and say, hey, this is empty. There's nothing here. I don't know what to do with this. Can you help? I need you. This deep, like, I'm, I'm trying to fulfill my emptiness with other stuff and it hasn't worked. Can you help me? The last verse that we read says, blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. The NIV says, who stumbles on account of me. What this means is that you're going to get offended by the gospel. Jesus is going to offend your lifestyle one way or the other. You're going to be offended by the things that you do if you follow Christ. If, if Jesus didn't offend anybody, he would not die. When I was growing up, I used to watch this cartoon. You guys, you guys probably don't know how old I am. It's called Hey Arnold. It's just, Hey Arnold was cool. He was the nicest person. He tried to help everybody. And we think sometimes that Jesus is Arnold. That Jesus is going to be okay with everything we do and how we do it. And the reality is that if you walk with Jesus, he's going to offend you. He's going to offend the way you live. He's going to offend some of your things. You know why? Because he's going to tell you, you cannot save yourself. And you're empty and you're looking to fulfill the emptiness someplace else other than me. And you cannot do that. He's going to say the only way you can have fulfillment in life is if you seek me and you look for me. This is the only way you're going to be satisfied in life. And that is offensive. What, Jesus? You're telling me that my looks are not going to get me anywhere? You're telling me that my hard work is not? And Jesus is saying all of that could be good. But when you make it the supreme thing, when you make it the most important, it's not going to get you anywhere. You're still going to be empty. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And John, you need to understand that I know that you've preached the gospel. I know that you said that I was the one coming after you. I know that I told you to baptize me, John. I know you're in jail right now. You're about to die, John. But if the gospel is advancing, please don't get offended. And this is, and, and if you read chapter 11, for homework, read chapter 11. Jesus praises John and he says, there hasn't been anyone greater than him in this planet. He's saying there hasn't been somebody greater than John in this planet. And John is the one that's doubting. Because in our walk with the Lord, we are going to doubt. If you don't believe me, read Psalms. One third of Psalms is... The psalmist complaining, <laughs> how long, God? Have you forsaken me? My Old Testament professor in college used to say that the whole, all the scriptures is God speaking to us, but the psalms is us speaking to God. Us telling God how we feel, how we are, how depressed we are sometimes, 
how we have no idea what we're doing sometimes. And how great is God that he's able to send his son to us to say, I know you're empty, but I can fulfill you. How great is God that gives us this radical grace that says you don't have to achieve it on your own. You don't have to look at anywhere else. Just seek me and you'll be okay. But be careful. I'm going to offend you. There's going to be some things that the pastor's going to say that in your groups and community groups are going to say they're going to be offensive. You have to deal with that. You know why? Because in our emptiness, we're able to come to God and say, hey, I'm empty. I'm weak. The Bible says that Jesus didn't come in power because that's what John was looking for. John the Baptist was looking for someone that was going to come and free them from the oppressions of the Romans. And say, hey, I'm here. I'm going to rescue all of you guys. I'm going to restore the kingdom of David. And Jesus said, if I, if I come and do that, you all die because you all, nobody's worthy. Nobody's worth the grace of God. But through Jesus we are. Through the grace of God, we're able to receive this grace. Have you ever been in a relationship or friendship or something that you have... And the person is, is saying, I wish you knew what I was saying. Like, this happens to me all the time with my wife. She thinks I can read her mind. She's like, you know what I'm saying. She's like, I don't know what you're saying. Sometimes we, we want to say some things that they don't come out right. We want to, like, express ourselves. They don't come out the right way. What I meant to say was... What I really wanted to say was this. And if you've been married long enough, you know that happens all the time. Hey, sweetie, I love you. I didn't mean to say you can't cook. I don't know. I don't know. Just, just came up. I just made up. My wife is an excellent cook, by the way. Uh, Isn't it wonderful that even when we don't know what to say, how to say it, God knows what we're trying to say? The psalmist says, you know, the word is not even in my lips. I haven't even uttered the words. And yet, God, you understand me. How profound is this love? How wide is this love? If I go high, I cannot escape it. If I go oh, low, I cannot escape it. How great is this love of God that says, hey, I know you're looking for the one in all the places. But come here. You can find it. And I'm so glad, so grateful that in Brooklyn, there's a church like this that is saying to everyone, hey, he is the one. Not the system, not the way we do church, but God is the one. He is the one that he is the one. He is the one. I am excited about churches that are willing to say you know what we're not we're not going to disguise things we're not going to pretend we're holy all the time we're going to say how we're going to speak our minds we're going to say how we feel that it's not always all roses we're going to be real and we're going to express ourselves because that's what this world needs our society our communities they need something that's real that if you're hurting you don't let me just pray for you no let me walk with you let me serve you. Let me be there for you. Our communities, they need something real. 
And the communities, they need something real. They need something that's going to offend them. And say, hey, your lifestyle, not working. But God is there. And he can redeem all of that. And our communities, they, they need somebody to say, hey, I love you. Let's walk with you. So as I close, I want you to realize that we all doubt. We're all going to doubt. We're all going to pretend sometimes <laughs> something that we're not. But Jesus knows us. And he is saying to us, come all who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And even when he offends you, just take the offense. You know why you could take the offense? Because he took the greatest offense on the cross. He died for you. He was offended. Spit on. And he's saying, I took the greatest offense so that when you get offended, you can say, I could take that to the cross. I could take that to Christ. And I can rest on his love and mercy. Can you bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your greatness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being the one. Thank you for allowing us to walk with you in your grace. Allow us to reject the things that we seek to fulfill us, but don't. And in turn, they leave us empty. Allow us to reject that, Jesus. And allow us to walk in the truth of who you are. Allow us to walk with you, Jesus. And thank you for your son who came in weakness so we could be strong, who emptied himself so we could be full in your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.